Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. You young lad, come here and tell Santa Claus what you want for Christmas. Santa, I'd like uh, a, a, a JP's weather special. You know, one of those one of those guns that that shoots lots of bullets. Wooden ones, silver ones, and 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 I like a Muscovy, and 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 I like. I want a Panzerfoss so I can shoot down pterodactyls in the hardwired hinterland. Kid, that'll put your eye out. But I, I wouldn't, Santa. I'd be very careful. I wouldn't put my eye out. Besides, I'm only shooting at pterodactyls. Well, yes. Anyway, my biggest Christmas wish is to wish the Tri-Tech Games Podcast a Merry Christmas. A very Merry Christmas. Of course, we should wish them a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Tri-Tech Games Podcast. And a happy 100th episode. Hope you make many, many more. That's my Christmas wish. Jolly little elves are here to entertain you. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. And this is Trav. Welcome to the 100th episode of the Tri-Tag Games Podcast. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) None of us thought we'd still be here. Uh, God, no. And and certainly not (laughs) together doing this after 100 episodes. But not only that... All you people who have been so faithful to listen to us, this is also our Christmas episode. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, how do we manage that? I don't know. And happy holidays, all that good stuff. Happy Kwanzaa. Right, right. Happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah, right. right. What's a good pagan one? Happy Solstice. Winter Solstice. And Saturnalia. Yeah, Saturnalia. And happy Solstice and... I would just use the old grab bag. Happy holidays. Yes. Some people hate that. Yeah. All are welcome. All are welcome. Right. They all float down here. No, wrong one. Uh, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> and, Dude, not cool. <laughs> and for any of you atheists out there who uh, happen to get a day off for a holiday, whatever holiday it is, happy day off. <laughs> yeah. 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 Thank you so much for all the people who are watching. And we're going to try to give you a great show tonight. Just so, you know, you have a little bit extra present under the Christmas tree. And yeah. what we're talking about this week is getting your wish. Ooh. What if everybody got their wish all at the same time? Ooh. Trav, what kind of wishes are we talking about? You mean as far as our... You know, for a, a character, or well, I mean, not just... you in particular, but like when you talk about people saying, "Man, I can't believe I got my wish." Okay, what are the kind of wishes we're talking about? You know, most heartfelt wishes. Where do they go from? Okay, 
usually most people they they want health, happiness, wealth, good fortune for themselves and those with them. I mean, for example, I would want foremost myself, my daughter, my close friends would want to make sure that they're healthy, they're safe, they're happy, their lives go good. I mean, that's what I would wish for the most. Right. There's some people that wish for lottery ticket winning and the love of their life to appear and, and to find that perfect person that will just fulfill them and they'll be the receive their love. Some people want that perfect job that they've always hoped for or maybe get into a school that they've been trying to get into. If you're like 18 years old and it's heading towards spring, you're starting to sweat bullets about whether or not you're to get into that school that you really wanted. Those tickets that you've been wanting to get for that show or that baseball game or football game, or maybe you've been trying to find the, just the perfect, perfect gift for someone that you always wanted. But they're not all like that. You know, they're the selfless wishes, which you don't, you know, some people will go to. I wish for world peace or, you know, I, I wish that everyone else was happy, you know, every, or everyone, because they include themselves or whatever. But, you know, that right. everyone was happy or, um, right. you know, or that, that AIDS would be wiped out. AIDS would disappear or cancer would be cured. Then there's those people who wish that the other nine-tenths of the, United, of the world's population went away. Right. Yes. <laughs> Sadly, those who wish that do not include the people. Other people who make the same wish in that same Venn diagram. Oh, uh, sure. <laughs> right. Oh. Because the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. Wow, that was both deep and creepy. Thank you, that's, Bruce. You know, that's from our friendly Bible. It has all kinds of... Oh, things. I'm sorry. <laughs> Those of you who are you know, religious, I didn't mean to step on toes. No, no. But see, that's, you know, that's the fact, is that we like to think of ourselves as being all so noble and, mm -hmm. and making all kinds of altruistic wishes, but really in our hearts, most people, they've got something that they really want. Our hearts are really full of covetousness and greed I read in a college book once four words that hold true to me for this day. Human nature is self-interest. We are in this for ourselves first. When you're a baby, how do you get attention in order to have your needs fulfilled? You cry. You cry when you're hungry. You cry when you're thirsty. You cry when you're wet. Whatever. When you're lonely. We learn to be good and bad from the society around us. Right. So... We're out for ourselves first, and it's not maliciousness, it's not being mean, it's a matter of personal survival. We firmly believe in our family that human beings are made, not born. Like you were saying, Trav, it's a survival thing. I mean, if you don't look out for you, you know, if you don't have a self-interest in your future, you will not have a future because there will be competition and if you don't battle for the things that you need for yourself and for your family, you'll disappear because there are other things and other everything. I mean, right down to bacteria and viruses and on all scales, we're all competing for life. In reality, we get by by sacrificing other things. I mean, you got to eat plants or you got to eat meat. You got to kill things to eat that. So other things have to sacrifice for your existence. So it, it is. It's nothing but a competition. So that's inherently built into us that we have self-interest. Uh, we, we need to. 
But it doesn't necessarily mean that this is a zero-sum equation. No. Which is what is implied by your statements. Right. It certainly takes a lot of effort to go beyond that zero-sum equation. It takes creativity. It takes sacrifice. It takes, you know, sometimes uh, putting things aside. But here, we're not really talking about that. We're talking about everybody getting their wish all at the same time. Let's define this then. So everybody on the planet Earth all at one time, getting whatever it is they want. Right. Now, we could say in the same day. It doesn't have to be in the same second. The question is, is that is it even possible for it to happen? Can you think of a, a way for it to happen? I have a solution for you, right? If that did happen, everything as we know it is gone. Next. But seriously, I mean, I, I honestly see that that's the direction it would go, unless you're talking about just one wish. No, no. We're, everybody gets their dearest heart's desire. Wow. The same day. Can anybody think of any way for it could happen? Well, actually, uh, there's a book about this. It's called The Master of Space and Time by Rudy Rucker. Spoilers. The last bit ends up with just that. Everyone getting their wish. Uh, but it's a guided wish. The person who gets his power decides to go and individually tailor the wish to that person. They get their, they get their heart's desire, which means everyone survives. The world's not wiped, but everyone gets their, gets their wish. Let's address it from your standpoint, because there's, there's several different ways this could happen. And one of the ones that I envision mm-hmm. is that we all live in a matrix-type environment. So it turns out that reality as we know it is some kind of construct, you know, some kind of virtual world construct. All of a sudden, we all get enlightened to this, and we all realize that we have some kind of control over this virtual world by simply knowing that we're in it and that we can affect it. So that's one way. If you're truly in a virtual world, that means that there are no longer any limitations. Right. If 50 people want to get married to a hot Hollywood star, they can. They, they all can. All you need is for you to get the information back that you're doing it. The actual star never actually even has to be involved. Doesn't even have to exist. She may not even know that you exist, but the, but you're having an interaction because you're seeing her virtual avatar. You're interacting with it. She's everything that you want her to be, and everything's working out fine. So in a kind of a non-causative virtual space, everybody can have what they want. Yeah. Hey, and let's roll this into our systems, you know, TriTac systems. Mm-hmm. We were talking about the the French paths being able to go to different worlds and everything. And then at one episode, we proposed the the concept that you could actually get into the system itself, the software, the, the operating system, the operating system of the French path. And you could enter a virtual world much like Tron or Matrix or however you want particulars to be. But, you know, you could have a fringe-worthy adventure where the players, they think they go into a world, but they actually get sucked into the system. Maybe that's a, the, the, the gate itself is faulty, and that's where it transports them to. And then they're in the system, and they don't realize that they think they're in a world. And then all of a sudden, they realize that they're in this virtual world because we did a show in virtual, how you, could deter- how you could determine that you're in a virtual world. So let's say you figure it out, and you realize you're in a virtual world. And then you, you reveal it, and then everybody starts getting their wishes because they figure out how, you know, hey, I'm in a virtual world, so it is what it is. You know, it is whatever I want it to be, especially with like a fringe-worthy system because it's so smart and so advanced. It could even be or much more manipulative than regular code would be. So it doesn't have those limitations. So then you could have that world. But there's another possibility. 
we know that there are alternate Earths out there because that's what Fringeworthy is all about. Now, in our game, we say there's a million, million worlds, and that's probably not enough for what I'm about to suggest. But it's possible, therefore, because there are like literally infinite number of variations on worlds, that there actually is the perfect world out there for you, for what you want. So if you were to take one world, like the Earth, and you were to bring on the big system and have it look into everybody's heart, it could sort everybody to the perfect world and then just transport them there and voila, everybody, Earth would be gone, it'd be empty. And everybody would be somewhere out there on the fringe pass on the perfect world that they've always wanted to be on. Bruce, that's brilliant. The system reads your mind, determines where you want to be, and it transports you there and then that's where you go. If this was a group I was running and everybody was looking to retire their characters or going to start a new campaign, that's one way I might do it. Because let's face it, in all reality, if your character was transported to the perfect world for him or her, they wouldn't leave. I would not leave. Why would you? Why would I? Right, exactly. Why would I? So, you know, it'd be a cool way to retire your characters and start a new campaign. Imagine that. When I was younger, people would ask me about, you know, Dungeons and Dragons because they didn't understand it or, or any role playing game for that matter. And they would say, well, how do you win? And my answer was always like, well, you, you don't really win. It's, it's this ongoing thing, and there's really no winner. Everybody wins, really. It's, it's, you know, you all have fun. And, but that would actually be one way that your character could win, you know, that all the players win. That could, if you wanted mm. to, be the finality of your Fringeworthy campaign. Yeah. Yeah, you could say, how do you win? Well, you, your character goes to a world that is perfect for him. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. 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 So, of course, one person, his perfect role is with all his friends, so... Well, they could still be there. They just would be the friends who've been on the French path with you, but they'd all be exactly the same. They have the same yeah. personalities and everything else. Or maybe they are, because you know we know that there are alternate worlds out there that are almost exactly like our own, and they have their own IDET on them. Yeah. So it could still happen. Again, I think you're going to need a lot more than a million, million worlds to pull this off, but it's still theoretically possible. Yeah. I'll take it one step further. No, they're your friends, exactly how you like them, except every one of them has that one or two quirks that you can't stand about them because everybody has something they don't like about their friend. But that version of your friend is actually cooler than your real friend. <laughs> See? Because he doesn't have that tick or whatever it is you don't like about him. Right. Okay, the term, idealized version of that friend. Exactly. Right. Your friend with all the heavy lifting done. Right, and it's going to be your girlfriend with all the nagging things you don't like about her gone. Right, and that little thing that you want her to do and she won't do, she does it. Dude! There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah! Oh, yeah. Oh, anyway. <laughs> That's one possibility. Did, Blix, did you have some more? Hey, yeah, I'm going to defer to someone else at this point. I, that was my big... All right. John, got any ideas? There's several. Um, I mean, like I said, the Rudy Rucker one depended on... This fellow discovering a way to build a machine that let, let's basically let him go and alter reality. He, only he can do it. So it, it'd be one person. His wish is to grant grant everyone else's wishes. So that's very selfless. But he decides he wants to make sure that their wishes aren't detrimental wishes. He has all the time in the world because he's master of time and space. So he can go and you know talk to him, find out exactly what they really, really want, not. The first blurt, kill everyone. No, no, no. It's, it, he's able to tailor each wish such that they get their, their most heartfelt wish 
but without in such a way that it actually inconvenience other people. See, you got to watch that because one, he imposes himself as judge and jury on what is yep. ethical and right, and also not everybody will get their wish. If this man controls time and space, he can find out whether someone is psychotic or not. And you know yep. how psychotic people are. He's not going to grant that wish. Not everybody's going to get their wish because you're you're going to have the people who want. I hate everybody, you know, I have this desire to wipe everybody out. He has the ability to, you know, how can I put this, fix people. So, yeah, if it's a chemical imbalance that's causing their problems, oh, yeah, fix that. Now what do you want? <laughs> you know, John, I mean, that's cool and all. I get it on a very simple level yeah. that works, yeah. but, but who decides what a, what a genetic problem is? Does this guy get to say, oh, well, well gay, that's... You know, that's a genetic problem, so I'll fix that. You know, I mean, some people think that way. In, in the story, there's a couple walking down the street. One person has angel wings and a floating halo. The other person's a centaur. You figure that one out, okay? Not that there's anything <laughs> wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just just going by this, the simplicity of that statement, it mm. could get very muddy and very complex. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. I mean, Here's another concept I have. You know, everyone gets their wish, right? Yeah. I could almost see the next day, the Game Master goes, all right, look, everybody gets their wish, blah, blah, blah. Next day, everything's back to normal. Because when you take all the wishes, they all wind up canceling each other out. Because for everything that everybody wants, there's somebody who doesn't want that. And it turns out that that's actually reality. That's how reality is established. It's, it's the consensual, the net return on everyone's wish. Right, so you know, I mean, that's uh, that would be a fun way to look at it too. You right, know? and you're postulating again another zero sum situation. Yeah, basically, if you did grant everyone's wish, this is what you would get. What what we have is what you would get. Another way I thought about doing it is not that. I think it'd be great if that's how it turned out, but I think that probably wouldn't happen, especially since some people want everybody dead. But the, but there are some people who want everybody alive. You see what I'm saying? Well, maybe. Yeah. And there will be a the handful who will say, whoa, this is not good, because of those various reasons that says, you know what? I wish there is no wish. Right. I was talking to a guy at work today about this show, about the show we were going to do, and I, told, I was explaining the process of how we do this. You know, at first, it just seemed like this really simple concept, but as he and I talked, and he's not a gamer, you know, he's not into this, but he, he's interested in, in what I'm doing with the show and everything. And as he and I talked, you know, it just kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper, and he was just like, Wow, this is how you guys do it. You pick a topic and you just go crazy with it, you know. And, and he's like, he's like, it just seems like it seems like something that is so simple on the the surface, but as you pick at it and pick at it, it gets just deeper and deeper and deeper. And so we had these discussions about this kind of stuff. And, and I was saying, you should listen to our show more often. Yeah, he should. And I said to him, I think about it like this, you know, if everybody got their wish, eventually there would be somebody who would see all this stuff going on and be like, you know what? Honestly, it'd be better if no one got their wish. So I'm going to wish that this whole thing didn't happen and nobody got to make magical wishes at all. Is that wish valid? Does it undo everybody else's wish? And what if there was some guy who thought ahead that he thought, you know what? There's somebody who's going to do this. So I'm going to wish that no matter what happens, my wishes don't get nullified. You'd run up against things like that. You know, there's 7 billion people in the world. And that's, you know, just on Earth. Right. Yeah. That basically goes into the uh, theory of time travel, 
which oh. is where people keep, from the future keep going into the past to change things so that the the other possible future, so the future that is going to happen doesn't happen. Right. And if everybody keeps putting their finger into the pie like that, eventually what happens is that it keeps happening until finally somebody shunts off into a timeline where time travel was never invented. Right, yeah. exactly. Here's something about wishes, because we have 7 billion people. All these people that wish, oh, I wish this person was alive. I wish my grandmother was still alive. I wish my, the son I, or, you know, let's say somebody lost a child. You're going to end up with a lot more people on this planet if, with those wishes kicking in. Yeah, but then, then there's going to be someone who says, man, I wish every one of those Democrats would just drop dead. Right. They're going to be taking people out by handfuls and truckloads. Soil and yeah. green! But don't forget all the talking dogs and cats that will start popping out everywhere. You know, right. all the dolphins having conversations with you. And the Earth becomes flat, or it's on the back of a tortoise, or the universe is only 6,000 years old. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> then I'm going to unwish that one. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think it's much more interesting being older. I think it's more interesting that it's only 6,000 years, but it looks old. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. There you go, you, you darn scientists. <laughs> you touched on something, John, that I have said many, many times, and I, I never even – I hadn't even thought of this, but it is something that I probably would wish for is just the ability to talk to my dog because as a dog owner, you know, one of the things that perplexes dog owners and veterinarians, I'm sure, is that, you know, your dog can't tell you things that you wish it could tell you, you know, like your dog doesn't feel well and it's moping around the house, you know, if you could just ask the, your dog what's going on, you could save yourself a lot of trouble. Hey, and, Peter, and, uh, Peter. Peter, Peter, oh, I'm, oh, I'm not feeling well. Right. I think there was that crap I had on the street, maybe. <laughs> oh. They would never eat dog food again because you'd have to listen to them go, why are you feeding me this garbage? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, okay, I, and that take, it's always been a com my commentary about the talking animal strips, but not like Pogo, more like Get Fuzzy. Where you have pets... Love that strip. I haven't read that in so long. <laughs> yeah, you, you have pets, but they talk back to you. Where do they dogs. talk back to you? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Bucky talks back to a lot of people. Uh, he's a Siamese. Anyway, most of the dogs, uh, they, they have the brain power of a dog and the, or of a cat. Right. Take that as you may. Conversations may not be very deep or... Not, not so much, no. Yeah. So uh, do we want to bring this down to – you know, we, we did the everybody gets their wish. I mean do we have anything else to say on that? I do. OK. Go ahead, Bruce. OK. I have another way that this could happen and it's not a pleasant way. OK. If you were to do it in a day, not just simultaneously, and let's say that all the good wishes happen first. The grandma comes back from the dead. You get that puppy you always wanted. The girl falls in love with you. All these good things happen, but then as time goes on, then the bad wishes start kicking in. You, you can't have the good wishes if the bad wishes have already occurred and they've killed off half the world, right? So as time goes on, the level of suckage begins to get worse and worse because all these other wishes that have been held in abeyance now start kicking in until finally at the end of the day – it's over. <laughs> right. so the people who had the let's destroy the whole world, I wish it never happened, and all that stuff. 
And so you could theoretically get all everyone's wish all in a single day. But the only way I think that it could really happen would be if you were to do it in this order. It's not a very nice thing, but at least everybody would get their shot, right? Mm-hmm. And hopefully the very last wish is, as the guy sitting there choking his last breath on the, uh, in space, I wish it never happened! <laughs> now, if they undo anything and I'm on a different planet, th- does mine still get canceled? I don't know. <laughs> the idea is that you know some of the wishes are going to undo the good wishes. Oh, dear God, you're right, because one wish would be all the UFOs start showing up at that point. <laughs> right. That's aliens. true. There's a waiting line for aliens to land the White House lawn. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, all of us science fiction fans, we all want the aliens to show up and take us off of this planet, right? No, no. I want to be John Carter of Mars. That's my wish. Okay. Ooh, well, <laughs> Sky People. Yeah, Sky yeah, People's yeah. really good, too. But yeah, I, John Carter, yeah. would be, that'd be awesome. Yeah, you know, Blix wants to go sky clad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Do you know what that means, Blix? <laughs> I have no idea. Sky clad is when, like, witches and pagans and whatnot, when they do their ritual sky clad, that means au naturel. <laughs> hey, I'm good with that. <laughs> That's all part of John Carter, man. Absolutely. I love it. Hey, the movie's not going to do it justice, you know? Well, they're not going to do that, that's for sure. But they can still do it justice. Yeah, no, I'm hoping. Looks good, I mean. I'm hoping it'll be good. I'm hoping. But the trouble is, they, they can't have Tracy Lords though, as playing Deitch of Thoris. Oh, stop it. No, no, that that's not a problem. Well, not a second time, no. <laughs> not a second time, no. John. That, She's already done it. That, it's a good thing. That That's a good thing. Please, please don't sully my John Carter. Please. You would see Star is My Destination with all the actors you want in, in the roles. Sure. You get Ringworld with good special effects. Uh, you know, all those movies will say be on the screen, you know. And you could get Star Wars without George Lucas writing it. Oh, yeah. God. Get the not the sectology. What's what's nine again? That would be uh, nonology. Nonology. I have the copy of Starlog where he said he planned to do nine movies. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I remember that. Yeah, he's, he said that years and years ago. Yeah, yes. I, I totally remember that. And he, right. he oh yeah, he should just turn it over and let someone else do it. I mean, well, 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 but anyway, we're getting yeah, off topic. Yeah, yeah. I wish yeah. we weren't. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest problem with uh, everyone get their wish is the fact that some wishes are, unless we're talking about a virtual space, where all you're really seeing is the world presented to your eyes, and everyone's in their own private universe there's going to be some kind of a conflict. And I saw this really highly in a movie called Westworld. Right. Westworld was a futuristic vacation where you'd have these places like Disney World, except that they were being run by entirely by robots. And some people working behind the scenes to give the robots some general directions. And so they had Westworld, they had Future World, and they had Medieval World. And in Medieval World, there was a gentleman who, as part of his adventure, he decided that he wanted to have an affair with the queen. At which point, when he does this, they cut back to the control room and they see the guys that are busy trying to schedule the queen. She's like got five or six other guys that she's supposed to be having an affair with. (laughs) So they have to schedule it all up so that not only can she have an affair, but also... The king can confront the person and have a big battle royale with them, with the king, of course, getting killed and him taking the the throne as as the king. Right. I'm looking at that going, 
you need more queens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why are you having this one queen do all this stuff and when you just need multiple queens? And so over the castle, there's queens having affairs with various guests and, yeah. and various kings. And they had the same problem in Westworld when they had the gunslinger because he'd show up and someone would shoot him and he'd fall down and they'd drag him off and then it, and they'd take a day fixing him and then they'd bring him back. So you only got to kill the gunslinger about once a day. When everybody wants the same thing, and they did this also in Bruce Almighty, everybody won the lottery all at the same time. Yeah, that was something I wanted to mention. Bruce Almighty, you know, it's like Jim Carrey's character just said, back with it, everybody gets what they want. And you had people who were six inches taller. We had a record 153,000 people win our lottery today. You know, so everyone it's like, got like five cents, right? Yeah. 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 Hi, Richard. Hello, I'm here. Hi, you are. Ah, excellent. Hey. <laughs> it took a while. Well, Richard, you missed out most of the conversation. Blix was just about to tell us about uh, something with Bruce Almighty. Trap. No, I'm sorry, no, that Trap. Was me. Trap. Go ahead. No, it, it, it's just that he just let it go and said, fine, do it. And you had all these people grew six inches. They, they got this, they got that. All the people won the lottery. And it was just mass hysteria because everything happened at once. And it's like, wake up the next morning and the entire world changed. You had a six-foot-tall Chinese guy, you know, and it's just, yeah, it was indescribable. <laughs> I just remember seeing that. The one thing that sticks out in my mind was the one Chinese guy. Yeah, it was amazing. I grew six inches overnight. And wow. Then, you know, probably what's going to happen is, is that having gotten your wish – you're going to find out that you didn't really like it. You didn't want it after all. Oh, yeah. Even if everybody wanted a good thing, it would probably be a big letdown because it would turn out that what they thought was the best thing for them, and this kind of goes back to what you said, John, really wasn't the best thing for them. No. Because uh... because we are selfish and we are self-serving and we are myopic and, and, and we don't have the long view to our own happiness. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yeah. What, what most wishes are t- typically for the now. Oh, I want I want to shed a hundred pounds. Well, okay, depending on you know on your GM, that could be very devastating. If you lose the wrong hundred pounds, and Wait, next week yeah. they're removing my other limb. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or if you try to game the wish, that's always a good one right there. You know, oh, uh, I want to be. Health, healthy. I want to possess a healthy body. Well, there it is, right on the right next to you. There's a healthy body right next to you. Not yours. Here's the certificate of ownership. You're now a slave owner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. That's always been the problem in like D and D is it what's referred to as crocking wishes. Yeah. Even if you got exactly what you were wishing for, mm-hmm. I think they probably it would turn out not to be what you want because you know a lot of times these wishes are things we've carried with us for a long time. If we were to get it, we suddenly find out, I'm not the person who wished that wish. Yeah, I'm right, not- exactly. If you wish something 20 years ago, I'm 42. Let's say I wish something back in my 20s, and I said, okay, now I have it. Yes, I've changed in those past 20 years, somewhat for the better, somewhat for the worse. That wish, having come true, is going to come back to seriously bite me in the butt. Let's say I wanted somebody gone. Let's say they they were a blight on my life at the time, and I just, uh, okay, you know what? They need to just be gone. Well, let's say in those 20 years, I've come and made my peace with that person, and that wish were to come true. 
let's say if I had it back in the corner of my mind and all of a sudden said, everybody gets one wish. Okay, Robert, you got yours. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What? And I find out now this person who's now my friend is gone. And, you know, let's say I thought rather horribly at the time. Yeah, that's going to be bad. Yeah. We just all have changed over time. We change Mm -hmm. by the minute. If you did something like, say, I wish I'd never done X, okay? You've just now broken the chains of causality that brought you to where you are now. You'd suddenly find yourself somewhere else. You probably wouldn't be married to the person you're married to. You probably wouldn't have the kids that you dote upon, like you, Trav. I mean, you wouldn't have your daughter. I mean, everything would change if you actually got your wish from unfulfilled wish from, from before. Actually, I've seen two anime, more or less back and back, back to back. One, the first was Magical Girl Madoka, which is a twist on the Magical Girl anime that's really popular in Japan. Part of it is that you get the the Magical Girls get their fondest wish, and it's tur- it turns out for almost every one of them, be the absolute worst thing ever that happened to them. They get their wishes, but it turns out it goes completely. Off. I mean, there was a, a selfish wish to help someone else. Well, that person now ends up with another person. Uh, I want to help my father, and it turns out, oh, but now he finds out it was my my wish that had made him so powerful, and he commits suicide because it wasn't him, right? And things like that. You he's, know, he's too proud to to accept his success was nothing but given to yeah. him by this wish, right? Well, yeah, I mean, think and, of how many people spend their entire lives working so that they can retire. And once they retire, they can't stand it. And the other anime I watched was called uh, Steins Gate. It's a time travel story, but in its heart, it's basically a wish story because they keep going back in time, changing things. And it ends up being a bit of a groundhog day for the main character because he's the only person that actually knows time has changed. And he remembers what, he remembers what changed. And he really works really hard to, to prevent certain events from happening, and they just keep on happening no matter what he does. No matter what he changes, until he finally figures out he has to undo everything he had done earlier to get back to the ground state again. And the moral of a ground holiday day, where he literally could do anything he wanted to because the next day everything would be reset. Yep. And the only way to get out of it was for him to change who he was. Yep. And once he did, he could move on. And, and you have to watch that about wishing that a certain person was gone because, like Bruce said, I'm not on good terms with my two ex-wives, and the first one is the mother of my now adult daughter. If I were to have wished that something that, let's say, I never married her, or I never met her, I wouldn't have my kid. My kid is the heart and soul of my world. Rich has met my daughter, and it's just, I, I can't imagine my life without her. So that just, there are just certain wishes that, yeah, they may seem like a good idea at the time, but if you really try to even plot any type of causality with a wish that involves changing or erasing an event, you're really going to just put your life and possibly other people's lives out of whack. Because let's say by me fathering my daughter, my daughter does something else in the world that could have grand sweeping changes. Well, let's say if she's never born, A, B, C, D, and E don't happen. And they could have catastrophic effects. So mm-hmm. your one little wish can change a whole timeline radically. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, we're not talking the 
oh, if you step on a butterfly in the Cretaceous era, humanity will never exist. But I'm just talking, we all touch upon other people. So if you wish that someone wasn't born, yeah, you could radically change the timeline with one person. Or at least a decent enough change where things will be different. Yeah, and you never know. Different wishes, like someone decides the wish that the South had won the Civil War would have so many major changes, that person may not even exist because of that wish. Right. Probably wouldn't. Yeah. But his intention was he wants to live in that world. Well, you're not. Yeah, that's not, that wasn't your wish. Your wish was the South would win, not that you would li- live in the world where the South had lived. But it won. Yeah. Okay, I think we can go on to another subject here as far as pertaining this to a game. Yep. Okay. The way usually that most player characters get wishes, and I'm going on the mechanic I know, D20, that's the one that I fall back on. You have usually two ways that player characters have accesses to wishes, either through a magical item or spell, or if a being of higher power, i.e. a deity, were to grant you that wish. Now, as the game master, on either count, you are the arbiter of what your players ask. I have had to deal with wishes, and there ends up being... A long discussion out of game between the players. Okay, make sure you word it exactly like this. And it's not so much that there's going to be ramifications if this witch is done. Usually, no, it's because the game master can be a real jerk when it comes to semantics. And yes, guilty as charged. <laughs> Let's oh, see. You want this? I don't... Okay. <laughs> when I was originally playing games, uh, D&D, as I was the master of crocking wishes. I have a, a Power Hour suit in, in that game that's sitting in a lily, lily pad right now because I wished a Power Armor suit back to my pad. Thank you, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's an interesting thing that you, that you bring up, you know, because... And I'm I'm wondering where this comes from. Oh, a bunch of teenage boys screwing the other teenage boys. No, 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 no. I'm I'm serious. This this really, you know, it's really odd because it seems like, it, it to me it seemed like it was just our game master, but as I've heard and read and and seen from other people, this seems to be sort of like a universal gaming thing where the the game master really put you to the screws on whatever it is your wish is. Oh, you didn't know that's in the Game Master Union rules, Blix. You must not run very often. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, you the meeting. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'm serious. I'm serious. This must have been in a Dragon magazine somewhere that is sort of like in the, the gaming subconscious. There was an article about wishes. There was. Okay. <laughs> but that was way after people started crocking wishes. That actually is more of a codification of what was being done beforehand than an actual telling you what to do. Yeah, but, but John, it's so universal, right, that it is either something that is inherently built into us for some reason or I would say that it's more likely that there was an event at a Gen Con or something that was just that, – that just snowballed or, or some adventure or something no. that – has permeated gamers from the old school and has spilled out into the rest of the gamers. No, I say it's just actually is innate. If someone gets a wish, it means their character is going to get one over on somebody. They're going to get one over on the GM. They're going to get one over on another player. They're going to wish for something, 
which is why when you look at wish rules and and games that actually have wishes, they put the clamps to that wish, so you really can't. Oh no! Yeah. Oh no, John! I have the three point five players handbook. Oh, here they on open it up. Yeah. They open it up. Yes, right here. Here, see it has oh. right there, and it gives several bullet points: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve bullet points. <laughs> on things that can be done with the ninth level arcane sorcerer wizard spell wish. And it ranges from duplicating certain types of spells up to certain levels to undoing certain spells like Geas and Quest, creating certain types of items, granting a creature inherent bonuses, removing injuries and afflictions, reviving the dead, transporting travelers, and undoing misfortunes. Undoing a single recent event. We go back to our discussion a few minutes ago about changing history. Okay, uh, Wish itself, uh, 3.5 Player's Handbook, oh, oh. page 302. And Limited Wish, like I said, we all drink from the same pop culture <laughs> soup terrine. And some of us don't wipe our mouths afterwards. <laughs> some of us are in there with a scrub brush going, yeah, under the pits, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, John. That so turned me off having a bowl of soup tomorrow for dinner. Got it. Create nearly type effect, duplicate certain spells, undo harmful effects, and produce any other effect whose power level is in line with the above effects. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Even the greater wish is limited. 11 or 12. And it says you can try to go beyond those guidelines, but even in the book they say we really don't suggest it. Game masters and players are not supposed to have an adversarial relationship. You are cooperative storytelling. But that's well, not how it used to be. Well, no. If you are looking to make an adversarial relationship, wish is the way to do it. It's a good way for the players to try to outwit the game master and the game master to try to screw over a player. And it's often on the matter of semantics. Mm-hmm. But originally, that's, that was the idea, that the game master's job was to attack, to threaten, to do bad things to the players, and the players were to triumph by outwitting the, the GM's adventure. Yes, so, but that's by in-game. You are the player, and you thwart the plan of the evil noble, or kill the monster, right. or stop the army. Right. No, I'm talking made a game outside the game thinking, where the GM goes... Where I think, and I'll just pick a name at random from a player in my campaign. Oh, let's see. Gee, Eric, you want to make this wish? <laughs> yeah, the guy who wrote all those questions. Yeah, let's see. You want to make this wish? It's become a, a, a friendly battle of wills between him and I. And if I were to give him access to a wish spell, oh, it'd be on. I would just be going, um, no, um, no, uh, no, not that either. Um, no. And just, I noticed that. Wish is the one thing that could really, really set mm -hmm. a gaming group on fire. Players yeah. versus GM, GM versus players. Right. Hey, yeah. so, so let's say somebody wishes for a million gold pieces, okay? Now, how do you guys feel about the wish of least resistance so that, you know, you get a million gold pieces, but that million gold pieces comes from the closest location to you and spreads out until it meets a, a million gold pieces. So in other words, all the gold in the town that you're in comes to you. Then it spreads out and it grabs the gold from the next town and the next town. And every villager in between 
right, until it gets to a million. And it yeah. wrecks the economy, and then the, yes. the lords come after you, and then there's all this gold sitting there, which every thief in 100 miles is going <laughs> after immediately. Yeah. Not only that, but you can't carry a, a million gold pieces. And if we're talking D&D, these are one-ounce pieces. So, so what I'm saying is, is that you don't even have to screw the player over in any other way than just giving him exactly what he wants. Of course, it could be a, it could be part of a dragon horde, which means you got a dragon after you too. What I'm saying is, sometimes when when we were younger and the and the game master would, you know, you'd wish for a million gold pieces, and he would drop it out of the sky on you from ten thousand feet, and it would smash your character into, sm- you know, smithereens or whatever. <laughs> wow. I mean, just getting away from anything like that. So I wish for a million gold pieces. Okay, you have it, but it's the North Pole. It's like, no, come on, dude. Seriously? <laughs> so you don't even have to be malicious. You don't have to do anything like that. You can say, yes, to the left of you, nobody gets hurt. There is a million gold pieces just sitting there. One ounce gold pieces, it's real gold. It's all yours, and there's nothing to stop you from taking it, except for the fact that you can't carry a million gold pieces. And it did take the path of least resistance, and it did come from the closest locations radiate, radiating out until it got to a million. Yeah. Right. So, yes, you have destroyed the economy within a 200-mile radius, and you have all the gold in a pile. It's yanked all the gold pieces, which means all the silver and copper and electrum is still out there. Yes. And if you think about it, your average peasant isn't going to have a gold piece. No. It's going to be no. all the lords and ladies who have the gold pieces. Right. But then they crumble. And other adventurers. Right. But, but how do the soldiers get paid? In the D&D, from what I read, the soldier is, or what is it, the, the peasant usually goes on the silver standard. One silver piece a day is what usually feeds their family. And that's supplemented with things like growing your own food, making your own clothing, building your own stuff. Before we get too technical with, with all the little you know little bits and such, the, the reality is, is that you would bankrupt everything within a certain radius, right? Oh, you, you bankrupt all the merchants and lords who actually would deal in gold pieces, right? Yeah, and yeah. any kind of you know bank or any kind of banking system or whatever in the place, you're not screwing the player over at all. What you've done is you've said. You know, this is your wish. You did not think it well. And this is the repercussions of a wish like that. Yes. You know. No, conversely, though, instead of the wish taking reality and moving things around, it creates the gold. Now you actually have a million more gold pieces in, in the market. That also ruins the ruins economy. Ruins the economy because you're flooding the market with gold. Gold values drop right. dramatically. Yeah, and you ruin the economy. And if you can do it with gems, you do it with other precious metals, whatever it is, you're going to either take somebody else's or magically add more, and you're still going to ruin the economy either way. I mean, there's a reason why there are gold piece limits in when you generate a town in the DMG, the Dungeon Master's Guide, because a certain town or a certain city only has a certain amount of, of currency in it that it can spend. You can't sit there and make more because you'll mess with that town. A good way to mess with, if you're going to do this, and we don't try to sit there and advocate GMs if you want to screw over your players, but a good way to do it is if you're granting a wish, a genie. The genie will sit there and magically he will bring the gold. He'll be the one himself that steals the gold. And I've read stories about where the genie is the one. I want a million gold pieces. Okay, fine. 
He steals it from the local sultan. He steals it from other monsters' lairs. He steals it from the Thieves' Guild. He steals it from the King's Vault. And like it's been just said, you have a bunch of monsters and people and whatnot looking for your head on a pike. Because you've done the infinite wealth and, or, you know, this amount of wealth and it does have to come from somewhere. He just yeah. chose, like Blick said, the path of least resistance, i.e. taking it from other people. Yep. One of the great uh, wish stories I was involved in a long time ago. This is a doozy. We had an entire party who hunted for months trying to find a wish to do something. And eventually, in the party, it was Hagmuff the Hopeless, the idiot who found the vase, broke it, and got the wish. And he didn't quite know what to do, so he wished for something he really wanted, which was cookies. So he jumped up and down and yelled about a hundred times, cookies, cookies, cookies. And 40 metric tons of cookies appeared in the field. (laughs) And basically, after about two weeks and a very sick idiot, uh, the seagulls, the poisoning the water supply, the the townspeople, it was was a fiasco. The hordes of roaches. Yeah. <laughs> All the giant ants showing up, you know. Wishes, generally speaking, when you get them, aren't really good for you. Really know what you're wishing for, and you phrase it in such a way that it's something good, it's something beneficial, and something that can't be crocked. Well, in my campaign, I always had three levels of wishes. One was the ninth level Mazguzer spell, which was... Essentially, if you had to word it exactly to get what you wanted, unforeseen consequences would always follow that sort of thing, usually because of that. And I did use the same idea that Blix had, which was it would always use the least powerful method of achieving it. So rather than make a magic sword, it would teleport the magic sword from somebody else's possession. It wouldn't make any new weapons. It would just take ones that were already somewhere else, and then that person would be coming for you. The second possibility was a god wish, and that's where a god would say, okay, I'm going to think about this, and I'm going to use my superior knowledge to give you what you want in a way that isn't going to screw you over because unless I'm an evil God and I want to do that. But generally speaking, I'm giving you a reward. I want you to have it. Now, there may be snowballing effects from this, but in essence, I'm giving you something that's untainted. Okay. And then the third was called a corporate God wish, which is where multiple gods would get together and they would all wish for the same thing. And the idea of that was that the only way to undo it at that point would be for more gods to wish to undo it. And so if you got the majority of gods to wish for anything, then nothing could ever change. It was written in stone for all of eternity. So that's how I dealt with wishes. The biggest problem was that most players were not very creative with their wishes. And as a result was that they usually ended up asking for something, as you say, like a million gold pieces or a magic sword that they just couldn't seem to get their hands on or something else like that, rather than some things that could actually transform a campaign in a really amazing ways. Wishes can affect things, they can create things, but you can't do things like kill people. You can't change someone's mind. You can't make someone fall in love with you. You also can't make them hate you either. You also can't make them be indifferent to you. You basically can't use the wish to alter a person's 
uh, mental state. But I didn't do the other one, which is raising people from the dead. You know, I figured, okay, yeah, yeah, you can wish someone back. All you're doing is altering time such that what killed them didn't happen. Or they're a zombie. Well, they're a zombie. Yeah, there's that one too. <laughs> so, like the monkey's paw type of thing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. What you're branching into is the monkey's paw factor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Again, more yes. unintended consequences. Yeah. Make a wish, and uh, something really, really bad happens. Though yeah. you do get your wish. Right. I want a million dollars. Fine. Your kid dies, and his one million dollar life insurance policy is now paid out to you. Yeah, there was a, a movie recently where, here, press this button. You get your wish, but somebody has to die. And they tell you that. Yeah. Right. And it was a All movie right. that just came out earlier this year. It's called The Box. The Box. I think, I think you get a million dollars or something like that. You get a million dollars if you press the button. But if you press the button, somebody dies. Yeah. I think it was uh, Frank Langella was in it. Yeah. And so you don't know. It was a classic Twilight Zone episode. I know some people would go, smack. I know people like that. <laughs> That's why we're having this yeah. episode. All those different people all pressing the button at the same time, you know? <laughs> Let's bring it down to a, a level that we're actually going to use in our games. Which is, uh, yeah. It, it's your Imperial 13. You find a genie lamp. Do you rub the sucker? Despite the movie, do not save your last wish to free the genie. Genies are not nice people. Doesn't matter how good they are. They seem they're not nice people. None of them are. <laughs> They've been trapped in a lamp for 5,000 years. Anybody trapped something for 5,000 years would be bent out of shape. Yeah. Now, an, another thing is is that, and, and especially if you know anything about djinn, but, you know, djinn is how it's spelled, they're actually horrible things. They're like malevolent spirits, you know. They, they never want to help you. In Arabian you know, writings, they're like the monkey's paw. They're nothing you ever want to mess with. You know, it always yeah. turns out bad for the guy who pulls up a gin. You know, you're a game master, you got your players, and you want to give them the ability to make some kind of wishes. You want to introduce this to your game, but you don't want to destroy it, and you don't want to destroy the world, and you don't want to mess things up. So how can we bring in the concept of wishes? Well, like I said, time travel is one way of doing a wish. You know, oh, I want to win the lottery. Okay, so I send the, lo the winning lottery number back a week so I can then buy the ticket and win the lottery. That's not going to disrupt your game. Well, it might. Say you're not playing Bureau 13, but you're playing... Well, even if you are playing Bureau 13, you win the Mega Millions, you win the $200 million. And say that's someone else. Someone else doesn't get that. And that's changing history. That's changing time. Let me miss a point. <laughs> you're a game master. You don't want to destroy your game. You want to introduce this to your players. How can we do this so that we introduce the, the capability of getting wishes, even if they're limited, you know, no matter what you got to do to make this so that it does not destroy the dynamic of your game? How can you give players some level of some kind of wish capability? Well, if it was something that benefited the player but did not cause harm to anybody else directly would probably be the first step. Okay. You know, something that would give them like an item that they wanted, okay, but it didn't take it away from anybody else. You know, they would just give them an additional ability they didn't have before. Right. I want to be just like Superman. Okay. Now he can leap tall buildings in a single bound. He can he can shoot laser beams from his eyes. Uh-huh. 
And of course, we all know he's not going to abuse those powers, will he? Well, so he does. That's, That's all part of the game. I don't see it as a problem. To me, conflict is good. So therefore, someone who does that, he's going to have all these new powers. Great. But it doesn't mean he's the most powerful being in the universe. Superman's always going up against more powerful beings. Doing something like that is drawing a big X on yourself and saying, hey, everybody, notice me. All the people that were ignoring you before now notice you. You just made your life more complicated is what you just did. Once you become that Superman, every villain in the world is going to go, okay, let's work on him. He's the one to beat. He's the one. If you are Superman, is you are a, crypt, a Kryptonian, all of a sudden they start going, okay, red sunlight. We start making filters and we're going to hit him with red sunlight beams to take away his powers. This is the problem that all rich people run into, and that is, is yeah. that unless you go and date only other rich people, everybody that you meet, you think they're after your money. You're always questioning the motives of everybody you meet because you think they want something from you. Superman's going to have the same problem. Do you like me or do you just worship me? Do you like me or do you want me to protect you? Do you like me or do you want to be part of the fame that accompanies me? Doesn't anybody just like me? Well, yeah, they did before you did this to yourself. So, yeah. See, yeah. so someone decides, well, I want to be the master of the world. Okay, Mr. Master of the World, you're now in charge of the world. You got problems in Sudan and the dust up in India, and now you got to deal with it because it's your world now. Right. And so you try to solve problems about dictators and terrible people by going and punishing them or killing you, and all of a sudden you find that you become death. You're going around killing hundreds, thousands of people, and there's always more people. I, I was looking at the same side. You try talking to them first before you start shooting them in the head. But this is my point. My point is, is that you don't have to crock wishes. Wishes yeah. crock themselves. People always think that they're going to ask for something, and, and sometimes they can. They can ask for things that are different. I mean, not immediately effective. Okay, the best wish I've ever had asked for, and this was a God wish, was by a friend of mine, a long-term player, and he said was, I just want a magical organ in my body that every time someone casts it at me, it learns that spell, and then I can cast it afterwards. Oh. And I was like, well, he never abused it. I was like, oh, this is really cool, because he basically wanted his character to become more and more effective, more and more uh, capable, and have more and more options as time goes on. And the people cast damaging, causing spells at him, and he survived. Well, then he now knows how to do them and cast them back. It was a really good idea, and it really made his character much more interesting. And he has to survive it, so it's not like he's just getting something for nothing. It actually had to be something he had to resist. Otherwise, you couldn't learn it. A wish that causes some work on the behalf of the player. Maybe that should be it. Maybe we should say is that if you really want a wish to work, it has to cost the character and therefore the player something in order to realize it. It's like in the, the anime series, and John would know this one, Full Metal Alchemist, the concept of equivalent exchange. Yep. You're going to get some fancy power. You're going to get some type of transformation but you're gonna pay for it alphonse's brother the one who ended up getting stuck in the robot body well it actually wasn't a robot body it was just a suit of armor yeah <sighs> trying to bring their dead mother back and they fail <laughs> badly but yeah it, that's a good thing it's like okay you want a fine cause and effect this will happen and yeah. not due to oh i want a million gold pieces and you steal it all no a direct immediate consequence 
So here we have this world in which everybody's getting their wish, but then they're all going to have to pay the consequences. And maybe that's going to end up, as you said, you know, maybe it's going to end up with a zero sum where the consequences you end up paying essentially overall in the world, you still get what you want, but overall in the world, nothing actually really changes because, Mm -hmm. you know, every good thing that you're getting, it also means you're getting a bad thing at the same time. Yep. Of course, it reminds you of the uh, story by Bill Bixby, uh, the one with the kid who has ultimate power, has ultimate power, and he basically can do whatever he wants. And when he does, he either made the world go away, or he took the little, took the little village and went someplace else with it. And that was uh, in 1957 for that yeah. episode. And then yeah. the sequel was with uh, again with Billy Mummy and back done with the new Twilight Zone. He grows up and has his own kid. Now he has to deal with that same power, but as an adult looking at a child. I doubt he actually ever would grow up because he would want to stay a kid. He, he did in some ways grow up, but eventually in the end, yeah. the child brought him back to Earth. That's very definitely a wish scenario. The kid could do whatever he wanted to. He could grant wishes to other people if he wanted to. He didn't. He kept it all to himself, and everyone lived in terror of him. And nobody was willing to explain it to him that most of what he was getting wasn't what he wanted. Yes, you terrify everyone. Everyone does what you want, but nobody loves you. Nobody's your friend because they're all afraid of you. Wouldn't you rather have friends? It amazed me that nobody ever had that conversation with them. And when they did the remake of that particular episode in the movie that had four segments, that's exactly the tact that the woman took with him. She said, I'd rather be your friend. Why don't we be friends instead? And then you don't have to do these things. And all of a sudden, he started finding out how great it was to do things for her. Together, they could have a great life. Wasn't it where she ended up gaining the power as well to become his equal? And she's like, you teach me how to use this power and I'll teach you how to use it responsibly. I don't think so, but she was going to teach him how to use it responsibly. But she first had to get through to him that not everything that you want is necessarily good for you. And she did. And I think the biggest thing was is that if you do these things, I can't be your friend. And he realized he really wanted a friend. You know, the king of the world, the empire of the galaxy, you know, the he whom everyone fears and obeys has no friends. Well, you were sitting there talking about, yeah, you can grant wishes and let's say you wanted to take out bad people and do all this. What is the phrase that is said about, you know, when you have that ability? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. We are all going to fall to our darkest desires if we get the ability to do whatever we want. It's a slippery slope, too, because it doesn't start that way. It never starts that way. Every junta revolution in, like, Mexico and other places has always started with people who wanted to serve the people and to get rid of the bad guys and to, and to put in the, in the power people of good intent. But by the time you got there, we have met the enemy and they are us. I just, with with giving somebody ultimate power, oh, I just had a frightening thought, giving my nephew Jericho, his, my 11-year-old nephew Jericho, his character that, a wish spell. Oh, I just had a creep down right down my spine. <laughs> um, with wishes, the ones that say, oh, I want to have this power, that's one of the reasons why the wish spell has the bullet points. I want to be super strong and super fast. Well, one wish can give you a plus one inherent bonus to one ability score. You would have to have five wish spells 
to gain a plus five inherent bonus to one ability score. You have six ability scores. You would need 30 wishes to get a plus five inherent bonus in each of the six abilities in a D20 character. And originally, nope. wishes caused you to age a year, which means you're now 30 years older. And if you're not an elf, you're an old man. Yeah. yeah. There's a reason why these things used to come with deleterious effects, was to try to staunch the abuse of these kinds of powers. It's funny that you mentioned the god wish, Bruce, because I have also here deities and demigods, the 3.5, well, the 3.0 version. Mm-hmm. And on page 35 is alter reality. The deity can change reality to sue itself. And it is, and it even says it is similar to the wish spell. And even in the rules, they give a god guidelines. He can only do certain things. Let's see. Can duplicate any spell at the ninth level or lower is a standard action. No material or XP component. Uh, duplicate a spell with any meta magic feat as long as the meta magic feat is available to characters at 20th level or lower. And he has to rest for one round for each level that the feat would normally add to the spell. Can render a magic or supernatural effect permanent. Uh, rest requirement it varies, but there's one for that. Can create temporary non-magical objects. Create temporary magic items or creatures. And reshape a landscape. So even then, if you were to sit there and do the god wish... If you were to use the rules for 3.0 OGL D20 for gods and these demigods, even then you can only do certain things with it. Yeah, that's because they're trying to keep in what they call game balance. Uh, My personal opinion is is that gods can do whatever they want. Yeah, especially if they're the creator gods types. They go, oh, yeah, you want that? Sure, no problem. I'll just rearrange reality. There you go. You got it. <laughs> so, And as the GM, I'm fine with that. I saw something the other day on Facebook. Someone had posted it, and I can't remember exactly how it goes, but this uh, guy, he rubs a lamp and gets a genie, and the genie asks him what he wants, and he says, I, I want a bunch of wishes. You know, I want, I want more, know, wishes. more wishes. I want more wishes. And the genie goes, you know, that's against the rules. You can't wish for that. And he goes, all right, I want more genies. <laughs> <laughs> so a bunch of genies appear, and he's like, damn, didn't think of that. Each one of them offering three more wishes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so he didn't wish for more wishes. He wished for more genies. That's why wishes are crocked is because the players, ultimately, they don't want to play fairer with it. They don't want to just say, okay, I, I need this. I need something. And I'm going to use this wish to give it to me. Okay? No, it's like I want something really great, and I don't want it to cost me anything. Or I, you know, even though and if it hurts somebody else, I don't want anything bad to happen to me as a result. And the GMs understand that that's not fair. And so they feel a moral obligation to crock that wish. And that's how it happens. That's how it starts. Ladies and gentlemen. In the near future, mankind will discover something that will change him forever. An ancient portal system to millions of worlds. Built by a civilization of advanced alien beings, now lost to the ravages of interdimensional war. You will venture forth into the fringes of space and time to find alternate Earths and alien worlds, where he will find the wondrous bounty of knowledge as to who he was and what he might become. He will also find danger at every turn as he encounters hostile societies, alien beings, and the insidious Miller. Fringeworthy, the 
tabletop game of interdimensional adventure is now available for a D20 system, and coming soon to Savage Worlds. Action and adventure await you as you explore through the interdimensional fringes of space to an infinite number of new worlds. Your characters will face danger and excitement around every corner. Sail with Blackbeard on the Seven Seas. Journey to a steampunk Victorian age. Fight the Soviets in an 80s America that lost the Cold War. Travel to an alternate future and witness a supernova from the bridge of a starship, and then battle it out with blasters and plasma swords. Use any D20 setting you already own, or invent your own. Check out the French Witty Podcast at tritaxsystems.podbean.com to find out more. Whether you've never heard of Fringeworthy or have been playing it for the past 25 years, the Fringeworthy Podcast will entertain and inform you of all the cool stuff you can do with the most all-encompassing setting ever written. Every week, we'll take you on a tour of the fringes of space and give you tips on how to game in this fantastic multiverse. We discuss adventure ideas for the game masters and how to keep your team of characters alive for the players. Go to tritaxsystems.podbean.com and take a listen. You can also find us on iTunes under keyword Fringeworthy. A million million worlds await you. Music by Herminster, available on iTunes. The rest of this episode is just banter, so I'm going to take off my editing hat and just relax for the rest of it. So the rest of the podcast is unedited, and I hope you enjoy it anyways. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Uh, so, hey, 100 episodes. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have recorded more than 100, but this is our official 100th episode. Yeah. And uh, it's our Christmas episode. Right. So um, we hope you all get everything that you wished for. I do not wish that. I hope they don't get I hope they <laughs> don't get what they wish for, but we hope you have a really good holiday. Yeah, I, I, I think all of us... <laughs> You know, we have our own ways that we want to express that all of you listeners out there, you and yours, have a happy holiday season. And again, however you choose to celebrate it, because we don't try to single out a particular one. We have people of many faiths and of many backgrounds who listen to our podcast. Or or non-faiths, whatever. As I said, however you wish to celebrate this holiday season... We wish that it's happy, that you're, it's filled with love and laughter and, and the people you care about, and that you're safe as you go out and travel among this holiday season because, well, a good portion of this nation will probably have bad roads during the holiday season as per how winter is. And just that, you know, all of us, you know, Rich, John, Bruce, Blix, myself, just... We we all convey nothing but you know the best for this season. Yep. Hey, I have one wish that I want to make to my listeners, or our, I'm sorry, our listeners. Yeah, wait a minute. And that wish is, <laughs> oh yeah, right, right. That, that that wish is, I wish you would all go into <laughs> iTunes, and I wish you would all give us a review, <laughs> because this show really would um, accelerate if. I don't know, a tenth of you went on there and and, and gave right. a review. Uh, it just takes a minute. Just give us a rating. You don't even have to write anything. Just click a star. Click five um, stars. Because it, it'll push us. <laughs> yeah, it, it, you, can give, you can give us five stars. We, we want yeah. you to be honest, yeah. though. But it will push us up you know, into a more visible light. And the more visible we come, the more people we get exposed to, the more listeners we get. And it, it um, will grow, you know, It'll it'll grow our podcast.
beyond what it is today, which is fine. I mean, we good we got a good core group of listeners, but you know, we really want to expand. So please, 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 whatever you do, when you get a few minutes, please give us a review. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and and the thing is about this being the 100th episode, I started out back on issue or issue. Tell, tells you I'm a comic book geek. Episode 24, Mission Failure. I've been with this now for about a year and a half. And I've had nothing but fun doing this with these three guys. Now, I've met Bruce and John in person at Rich's wedding two years ago. I've not met Blix yet, but I have had nothing but absolute fun with this. I've Mm -hmm. learned about how they game. Mm -hmm. It's helped me game. And I've been doing, all of us have been doing this for at least 30 years now, role-playing. I just, Mm -hmm. I can't express enough Mm -hmm. that... This podcast has made it to 100 episodes that I've been allowed to join in on the fun in this. Because I can, I consider myself the junior cast member because Bruce, John, and Blix started this out. And yeah. so I, I want to take this opportunity to just thank you guys for, you know, allowing me along for the ride for all this so yep. far. And my bike and- needs waxing next week, so get, get to it, you know? <laughs> Well, my legs need waxing. And Blix <laughs> needs a bazillion, so, you know. <laughs> I hope you're going to need to get my coffee meat. I a lot of my mouth. Dude. But, but you know, on that, on that Trav, I think you've been an excellent addition to the show. I, I yeah. really do. I think, I think you've been an awesome addition to yeah, our show. I think everybody, every host on this show really brings something unique and valuable. And I really appreciate all of the dedication of showing up, you know, week after week and session after session mm-hmm. and, you know, all the things that's been done. I mean, it's, you know, I, I don't see this as my podcast. I see this as our podcast. And I just want I want you all to know that that you are just, you know, a, a great, huge, positive piece of my life. And I'm happy and, and proud to have been associated with you guys. And you know what? We have to all thank Richard for actually creating the games that inspired us to do this podcast. Oh, of course. So thank yeah, you, Richard. Richard. Hi, you're there. So here. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, honestly, you know, I mean, I don't think it's any secret. You know, we 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 do this we do this whole thing for free every week, or whatever. Uh, we don't get anything out of it. I mean, other than just the enjoyment of doing it. Um, we don't, you know, you guys don't pay anything for it. You know, this is all just um, well, we do you know, occasional pop product, out of the, but you know, <laughs> uh, but it, it's it's really all done out of the love of the game, and yeah. you know, exactly. That's why I, I tell people that when they ask me, you know. You know, this is a side job for you. I said it's literally done for the love of the game. Yeah. The stuff that we just created, mm-hmm. all of us have have gotten our claws into it in our own way, and each of us have contributed something to the whole grand uh, multiverse that Rich has created through these games. Each of us have added our own components to where it's all become canon and made it a better thing, and it's just snowballed along. So. I was gonna say to to expand on that, Trav. You know, um, I think that you know, Fringeworthy is is such a really awesome, cool, rich, um, you know, vibrant uh, creation that it it's getting, you know, it, it's getting the the attention that it that it deserves. You know, it's it's I think it's it's been undervalued and underlooked over the years, and um, you know, I I think us. You know, constantly hammering away at it every week, and, and and you know, building our listenership. 
you know, we're we're putting it in the minds of uh, of more people where it should be. And and my hope is is that one day this you know this will blow up even further, and you know we'll we'll have um, you know we'll actually go to conventions and people will be hunting us down, going, hey, you guys, the guys that do French really well, awesome, well, no, blah, it, blah, blah, it's blah. funny you that know? because my fellow co-host on Dementia Radio, DJ Phoenix, was transporting someone from Cincinnati, I believe either to MarsCon or DragonCon. DragonCon. And she knew this guy, he called himself Thor, called a Dement- he, he knows another Dementia artist, grew up with him, uh, Dementia Comedy Music, named after Dr. Demento. And he, uh, Dr. Milo Pinkerton of the Consortium of Genius. And he goes, well, yeah, I listen to other podcasts, you know, this one, this one, the Fringeworthy podcast. And she just goes, oh, yeah, my friend Travis on that. And he just said, yeah, I've heard him. So, yeah, I know that it, 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 this has grown and it, it mm-hmm. I've always had to tell people that TriTag Games is like role playing's best kept secret because it's been around now for over 30 years and they're just the games it's the games themselves let, let's try to use proper grammar here the games themselves have had such an incredibly strong core membership of players who just are it's just the the setting they love that's how i got into it i was a fanboy and i ended up you know running you know converting it to uh, bureau 13 to d20 i the the amazement of rich bestowing that upon me has just recently subsided Mm -hmm. and just it was because i was a fanboy i got involved in it with incursion Mm -hmm. and just i remember sending rich like 40 questions handwritten on line paper and he sent me back a bunch of stuff about ftl and Mm -hmm. other side notes about incursion and just from there my love of the game and the universes involved just grew and the fact that it's really starting to take off now because of the podcast we're bringing in all sorts of new people. One of my coworkers, he's not even a geek. He's a sports fanatic. He tried to listen to my show, found the podcast, and enjoys it. He goes, I don't understand what you, half the stuff you guys are talking about, but you're entertaining as hell. I said, good, tell your friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I got a guy at work. There's a guy at work that has listened to almost all of our podcasts, and he's an avid gamer. He has never played Fringeworthy, and he told me, he's just like, I probably won't. He's just he's just one of those guys. He likes the system he plays in, um, and he said he might try to convince his guys to use that as a setting for the system there because they play GURPS. They're they're big GURPS players. We've always had lots of people playing Fringeworthy with GURPS. <laughs> right. So, you know, but he he said that he doesn't he doesn't even know if he'll ever play it, but he enjoys the podcast for the perspective it brings to the the gaming the the concepts of gaming that we talk about. So. Um, as a matter of fact, one day he came down to my office and he says, he's like, you know, I don't think I can listen to you talk anymore. He's like, I'm, I'm tired of hearing your voice. I've been listening to it all day for the last week. <laughs> wow. That's a hell of a thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. It was a, it was a compliment because it meant that he'd been listening to our show so much that he was sick of hearing my voice. And then he works with you. It's like. Well, see our work. Yeah. I get paid to listen to you. Yeah. <laughs> so it it's it, it's pretty cool, you know. I mean, we we find fans where we find them, and and I love it. You know, I mean, I yeah. think it's awesome. I'll take every fan we can get for yeah. whatever reason. You listen to the show, I don't care. And Blix's friend, please try a game of Fringe with you. You know, go find Blix, twist his arm behind his back, and tell him you're gonna run me a game. <laughs> right. Hey, I'll do it. Wait a minute. What? Wait. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, the whole thing is, is that Fringeworthy, I mean, each of us have the settings, or not the settings, the game mechanics that we use the best. I mean, John and Blix are working on Fringeworthy Savage Worlds. Mm-hmm. I prefer D20. That's just the rule mechanic that I've been using, and Bruce uses D20. But you can, Fringeworthy is truly a systemless concept. You can throw Fringeworthy into any world setting, any game mechanic. It takes a little bit of work to tweak it, but you can literally link different game systems via Fringe Paths and literally have a meta campaign. You could have a White Wolf world and a post-apocalyptic world and a fantasy world and a pulp world and a modern-day world and a modern-day urban uh, fantasy conspiracy world like oh, I don't know, Bureau 13, innocent look, and have them all linked with fringe portals and just bounce between them whenever you want to to switch things up or link them all in a massive multi-world adventure. That's the beauty of Fringeworthy and and then all the other games that TriTac has done, Bureau 13, Incursion, Hardwired Hinterlands, uh, Weird Zone, FTL, Elf wins as that comes out later. And just so I try to explain the, the simplicity of that to people. And they, I always get an approving nod. Like, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it's just, you know, if you do that, make sure you buy a copy of the game for each version you come up with. <laughs> 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 no, I'm just kidding. You, you know, but encourage but encourage your, your, your players to buy a copy so they see how the rules as, as well. Yeah, and and also as as we expand out the Savage World stuff, you know, we got uh, James who was on the show previously uh, for the seventies episode. Um, you know, we've we've managed to touch base with him, and he's going to put a, a portal and and you know incorporate Fringeworthy into his world as an option for uh, Bad Mother's Tales from the Funk and. Um, uh, you know, and and most of the stuff he does along those lines, he's also gonna you know continue to incorporate uh, Fringeworthy as an option. You know, as as an official option if you want to put it in the game. And we're we're gonna try and reach out more and more. So actually, this would be a good time to point this out. You know, if you are um, if you're designing a game, you know, or you're a game designer and you're gonna you know you're realistically gonna release a game or something, and you want to include Fringeworthy as an option, you know. Contact us, you know, and you know we can we can talk to you about the particulars and make sure that you get it right, and um, and then and of course you know uh, make sure that we guide people your direction. Oh no, we do we do need to do one more shout out, and that's to our former co-host uh, uh, Jay Haley. Um, we miss you, Jay. Yeah, I sent him the invite, but he didn't show up. Well, sad, well, he didn't show up because, sadly, real life has intervened, and he actually has work. Yay! He has work in his economy. He's a cabbie in Spokane, Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, he was with us. For those of us who recently started, Jay and I joined in episode 24. And that was our debut, him and I. And Jay ran a variant Fringeworthy campaign with his friend. I believe his name was Dennis. And he had, and he made his own variant canon and everything, and that was his major experience. The fact that he took Fringeworthy and put a little English on it, and that mm-hmm. was his that was his baby. And Jay has given us some moments 
His key gag voice was the thing that just, I mean, that's one of the little things I miss about him being on here. And just, he would bust out with that and it would just be like, oh God, here we go. Yes, yes, we miss him much, yes. Oh, yeah, oh. (laughs) Oh God, no, not John in the, oh. No, no, that was a slurg, that's not a slurg. This is slurg, yes. Uh, Uh, Oh, uh, yeah, Uh, no. Jermillan. It, it, it's funny because the whole thing about you, me, Bruce, and Bruce's son gaming at Confusion a couple years ago and my my major goof. For those of you who, uh, I'll tell the story real quick. I was basically playing the adult version of Boy, as in Tarzan and Jane's son. Bruce's son was playing the manservant, and John was playing a slarg. Me now, slarg, good slarg, yes. fine stuff, oh, we are in. We are in an SUV. We just came through the portal, and I look at the slarg and I say, "Slarg, what do you see?" And he goes, "I see box." I've been gaming thirty years, and I didn't have the prescience to realize he has a radar sense, and we're inside a vehicle. He has a sonar sense. Yeah, roll down the windows, you idiot! <laughs> now the slarg can see something. It's like, oh yes, now I see it. I'm, and all of us at the table, it was a mutual face palm. I get so much mileage from that story, even though I'm the one that screwed up. And it's it was the weekend I met Bruce and John at Rich's wedding. The three of us and Bruce's son all game together and just people look at me and go, how long have you been role playing, Robert? And I'm just like, well, it, yeah, I, I oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and of course, I play a slarg. I play a slarg right. When we first with a danger, what happened? Hey, run! Run for the portal! Get out of here! Right. <laughs> right. But, but Trav, you're right. See, you know, one of the things that keeps me going on this podcast is that the emergent play issues that come up from us talking about games and, and how to do the various things that are part of gaming, it always, something new always shows up. And I'm like, I never looked at it that way. And boy, that would be something cool to put into my game that I never thought about doing before. And well, it's, all, it's all because of our interactions with each other and all the things we bring in. So that's one reason I'm glad to be part of all this. Well, the thing is, let's see. Okay, me, 32 years. Each of you, how long have you been role-playing? How many years? Since, since 1980. So. <laughs> yeah, 78. Yeah, you're looking at 120 years, and then we throw throw in Richard's experience. 200 years there. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, not cool. (laughs) No, you're you're looking well over, just with the five of us here, over a century and a half of role-playing experience, folks. Yeah. I mean... And not with each other. Well, me and Richard, as in earlier history, but we're all independent of each other. So we have really different points of view in some things. Oh, yeah. I, I've had my own same role-playing group for 20 years that has since evolved into the Saturday night D&D mm-hmm. group that my co-host Eric runs. And that was based on a campaign that his late college buddy made 25, 30 years ago. Then my own bi-weekly Friday night fringe-worthy D20 campaign that I've been running now for... About a year. Well, no, actually, this is the spinoff. A couple years. Plus now, because of the, the games I've run at cons recently, I have a tournament campaign going on now. Yeah. I ran a game at, uh, at UConn, uh, Southeast Michigan's biggest gaming convention. It was the second in a series, and the players want more. 
Yeah. I've been I, I I have to go up to Wintercon at Oakland University. So now I have technically a third semi regular campaign going. So yeah, I have my own role playing experience for the past thirty years and I, so I, each of us have all these different viewpoints and when we come together it is a gestalt. Well hey, I mean look at look at uh like like our group. We never play D20. I mean, the closest we've ever come is we played Mutants and Masterminds for a little while. And that's true. Um, that's true 20. But yeah, okay. So, so our group doesn't really, um, does, doesn't really get on the, the D20 vibe. And we generally jump around, you know, we, we've jumped around quite a bit. You know, we've, uh, played a lot of Savage Worlds, um, Cyberpunk, uh, White Wolf, the old system. And we just, we're just getting ready to finish up the new system. Uh, we've played, um, Lug is a big one that we played before, you know, the Star Trek system, which we're getting ready to play again, uh, a real long campaign in, uh, 7th C. So, you know, core, uh, Time Lords, um, so we, we like to jump around a lot. We, we've really sampled a lot of different systems and taken a lot of different concepts. I have to say that in my gaming history, for the first, I'd say, 30 years or so, I was only within uh, about maybe about a half dozen games. When since I moved here to Washington State and joined a uh, gaming uh, gaming group up here, um, I've probably experienced another hundred games, and I'm not making it up either. We've, hmm. we've 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 we it's an indie play group. We play indie games, and there are hundreds of them out there, you know. And, and we and I right. think in the past ten, no, yeah past ten years I played uh, probably. Ten different systems uh, every year. So yeah, it's been a hundred games since I, since I started gaming with my local group. <laughs> hundred different role playing systems. So yeah, I've been exposed to a lot of different ways of doing things. <laughs> and what about you, Bruce? I can't say that I have a whole lot of breath like John. I started playing D and D. I tried a bunch of new systems that came out because back in the beginning, there were a zillion game systems because everybody was throwing in their idea about how they thought a game should be. I got involved with TriTac. I pretty much memorized the entire TriTac system, which is why I never had any trouble running it. If you knew all those tables, you just ran them. It was just fun. Then I started playing with the third edition. I played Cyber World. I, I really haven't played GURPS, but I have played Champions and uh, Oh, yeah. Zero. Oh, yeah. We had a Champions campaign. Sorry. Right? Oh, yeah. I haven't really played White Wolf because I was too busy playing Bureau 13. I've certainly known many, many people, told me many, many stories about their campaigns. Mm -hmm. I have friends that I have known for 20 years, and I have never played a game with them. They're always telling me about their campaigns and the adventures that they have with other friends, but I've never actually played with them. So I just try to learn from what... People tell me were the greatest things that they ever did and what was so great about their games and try to incorporate that into whatever game I'm playing. Yeah. Oh, God, let's see the systems yeah. I've played. Um, Champions, Marvel superheroes. Oh, yeah, I did that. Yeah. DC heroes for a little while. Palladium books. Oh, as I said, I think I may have put Kevin Sabita, one of his kids, through college. Because I've got just a mess of them. That's why I chose to do the Fringeworthy in Rift's episode that we did because mm -hmm. i just have tinkered around with palladium stuff that much yeah you were definitely the guy that knew it the best oh yeah. man i i that's i that's a personal best for me that one 
And I'll admit something, Bruce. Um, I had three embers in me when I did that. Woodchucks. <laughs> and I, I was, like, really nervous because, oh, man, I'm pretty much running this. Oh, God, what if I, you know, it just, yeah, you edit, but still there's just certain things you can't edit that they're <laughs> and And we also have to give it, I mean, as far as us doing this, Bruce does the lion's share of the editing. John and Blix yeah, yeah. do that. I have no editing skill. I look at a sound editing program and just my mind just goes <clears throat> we we have to just give massive props and gratitude for bruce for him spending a lot of time editing all this together to mm. give you all the finished products that you listen to yeah. because just right. it, it bruce what do you say it's like an hour for 10 minutes of recording it's an hour for every 10 minutes that we act that actually shows up yeah, and just yeah. that's a lot of time. Now, all of us have jobs and families and whatnot. And just so, Bruce, the fact that he does the lion's share of the editing, just we, we have to give him gratitude for this Yeah, yeah. in a big way. Thank thank you very oh, yeah. much, sir. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah he, he, yes, yeah. Yeah, he, he does he does the, the biggest chunk of the work when it comes to this podcast. I've done the editing too, and yes, it does take hours. You know, you you do multiple passes, and then you and then you realize after a while after a while, don't ever mess with the original file because sometimes you go along and realize, oh, I took out something. Oh, I can't I can't undo it. Oh, well, well, the funny thing <laughs> is, I I tell my coworkers and whatnot about you know what I do with this podcast, and it's along the lines of. Yeah, Bruce is kind of like the cat herder for us because, you know, we all go off on our tangents, <laughs> and the only way he can really keep a rein on us is by editing. <laughs> That's true. I, I had the final say. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so if you actually, if you hear this, I, thank Bruce, because you may actually cut this out, but you never know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I say, you may not, yeah. I, I, out of humility, I may not include this. <laughs> Now I I go to I go to a lot of cons and I talked to a lot about other podcasters and such and I was talking to this other podcaster who would uh, I'm kind of friendly with and, and he had listened to our show and he was he was amazed he's like he's like wow you you guys you know you never step on each other or anything and you're all remote you're all you know, <laughs> yeah. you're all in different locations and, and how do you how do you not step on each other you know and I was just like oh no 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 what you're hearing is hours of editing I was like. I was like, we step on each other all the time, and I explained to him how we all record our own tracks, and we pull the four tracks in, and you know, so let's say I'm saying something, and Trav, I'm just gonna pick Trav. Let's say Trav steps on on, on what I'm saying. Well, let's say what he said was important. You know, what we'll do is we'll put a spacer in there so that it'll seem like I said my part, and then Trav said his part, and there was no steppage oh, of yeah. any kind, and we've kind of. Yeah, we kind of learned to like either keep going or 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 to you know or to stop, so that you know when the editing process happens, it's it's a little less painful. Uh, at least I think we've we've learned some of that. Would you think, Bruce, we're getting a little better? Maybe it's sometimes much <laughs> less painful. But the biggest thing that still we need to do is to say, hey, it's okay to stop and think about what you're going to say before you say it. I can always cut stuff out. But when you talk so fast and change up in the middle of the sentence, then I'm like, well, he was saying something really interesting, but then it turned into nothing. And now I got to delete it all because it doesn't make any sense anymore. Or I so, go off on one of my Daffy Duck, right. uh, not, not Daffy Duck, Porky Pig uh, stutters. Uh, yeah, but you're right. We always can stop 
and start again. And that's yeah. the great thing about the fact that we're editing this and that it's not live, is that we who are not professional speakers can speak clear and raise our intelligence by an apparent 10 to 20 points. <laughs> yeah, see, that's the thing. I come from... Um, by the time you guys all listen to this episode, I will have been doing my own show, which will probably be, hopefully be advertised at the end of this podcast, for Always. five years. <laughs> I have been doing live internet radio for five years. Other than a 20-second buffer due to the server, what I say, it goes out. I don't get a second shot. I don't get editing. <laughs> so... When I came here, I, I apply my live radio experience to this show, and I've heard myself, and I go, wow, I sound so much better on this pot. Oh, that's right. There's editing involved. <laughs> Otherwise, right, yeah. it's like Bruce yeah. and the guys have all listened to my show, and it's just like, yeah, they know how it goes. And then I've got two other people, and we're stepping on each other's toes. Myself, my co-host, Steve, who I call Sven, and Eric. And all of us trying to go at and, it and just it it and my coworkers go, it sounds like you three just sit there and argue for an hour and play some music in between. <laughs> and you guys are in the same room, right? Yeah. I, I mean yeah. literally they're both sitting within two feet of me. When I say Sven is my right hand man, he's sitting on my couch next to me and my love seat, which is perpendicular, Eric sits there and I've got the mic, my stand mic, my Logitech mic, and we all use that. Right now, I'm using the the headset, my, the Microsoft headset my daughter got me. Well, you know, um, I, I, I'm going to say, you know, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but I feel like I have, when I listen to the earlier shows and listen to m myself now, um, and, and when I do my live stuff at conventions, you know, when I hijack the show, um, I, I feel like... You know, my quality has improved. At least I think. I mean, I don't know if you. I mean, be honest. I don't know if you guys feel the same, but I really think that that you know what I add to the show and and you know the way I speak has improved over the years. You know, I I don't think it's as painful listening to myself as it used to be. I don't know if you guys feel the same way. At least about yourselves, even. I, I think that all the hosts have improved in their speaking yeah. skills and especially in trying to work off of the other hosts to yeah. create a certain frisson versus waiting for the other person to stop talking so that now I can finally start talking about what I want to talk about. Yeah, right. Oh, you know what, Bruce, you're right. You know, I hadn't even thought of that. But yeah, we do. We do play off each other more now than we did before, you know, because, you know, the, the public speaking and getting your information out, you know, it's yeah. so important that you get out your point. Right. But that's also part of our whole philosophy of bringing the awesome to the game. We're also trying to bring the awesome to the podcast. And the only right. way to do that is to increase the value of what other people are contributing, the other hosts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the fa speaking of other hosts, I mean, we have to thank all the people that have joined us over the past, you know, past mm -hmm. 100 episodes. Oh, God, let's see. James Carpio, Jay Libby, uh, of course, oh, God, Jess Hartley, we, you know, yep. the gender and gaming podcast we did. That was such a surprise. That was totally different than what I expected it to be. And if you look at all the other people who've done gender in podcasts, ours is nothing like theirs. Right. I, I have to say, I personally think that those two episodes may have been our best episodes ever. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, yeah, as far as just all of us and our, I mean, all of us have our personal favorites. I mean, as I said, for mine, it was the French Worthy of Riffs. But our best episode, okay, I'd say the top two or three, gendered gaming is up there. Just is it fantastic, intelligent, just has a grasp on, on game design that just took all of us by surprise. I mean, we didn't underestimate her. But I mean, still, she just she brought something to that particular episode or pair of episodes, rather, that just was like, you know, what I loved about that is the fact that, you know, I generated all these questions, did all this this homework for that. And, um, you know, I, I sent her the questions ahead of time. And then, you know, we did our show and she she totally turned the questions around on us, which was really awesome because because it, it was even more awesome than it than then it would have been if she'd have just gone with it. She she put her own take on it, mm-hmm. and it, it's just you know be, because we live in such a male centric world, and those questions came from that. Still, even though you know, even though I try very hard to to not be male centric, and, and and we all do. You know, we, we that was the whole reason behind that show. Yes, was I mean that was the whole point of that show, and we were still there. You know, mm-hmm. even though we were trying not to be, and she brought it around, and it, and I think um, it was more of a success because she challenged the very questions themselves, and and, and I mean that that's why I liked that show so much. That's why that show I think resonates with me so much personally because I always try to strive to be a better person, um, and, and I think after that show was done, I actually was more of a better person than I was going into that show because of that show. And the, and the thing is, gender is a very touchy subject. Role-playing in general, yeah, we have a lot more female role-players, especially with the advent of MMORPGs and other online gaming, but it could have ended up seriously being, and forgive my, my language here, a match. No, <laughs> it was an intelligent, articulate, pleasant, logical debate we had just enough passion to describe our points, yet it wasn't getting to where we, you know, no toes were stepped on. We didn't rub anybody the wrong way. We had fun discussing it. We all brought up our points that we had about it and related our own personal experiences about it because all of us have had to, you know, interact with women in our gaming groups. So that episode generally was just one where we, all five of us on that one, shined. We all popped. Yeah. yeah. I, I just, I, that's why I liked that episode. And I got to do my highest voice as well. So, so John, what do, what do you think? What is your favorite episode? I mean, uh, Bruce, I hope you're not having to cut this part, but because this is cool, because it's like a little, like a, you know, an in review section. Uh, we can always put it on as a bonus. Sure. So, yeah. so, so John, what, what? Right, so, I said my part, and and Trav, you said yours. John, what's yours? I was, I was thinking about that. I'm, I, I, you know, I've, I've been th- racking through my head. I've, I've, I've liked, I liked them all, and then, then uh, unfortunately, I'm one of those invariant, invariant nitpickers. I can always find something, everything. Oh, I should have said that, or oh, I shouldn't, or we. Sh- 
got this topic here. I'm, I, I, I hate to say it, I'm, I'm my own worst critic sometimes. <laughs> well, we all are. But John, I yeah. mean, besides all that, I mean, honestly, what do you, I'm like, if you're thinking back, what do you think, in your opinion, what was your favorite show that we've done? Actually, I like the shows we did on on the different uh, fringe races. Okay. Uh, there we we got to explore. The and, and really flesh out these different races. We 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 got to ex- look at the Blizzniz. We got to look at the Dimixi and and come to realize yes, the Dimixi are you know we're described as being close to humans, but we decide yes, they're close to humans, but they're totally alien at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, and and things like that. Those shows I really like because really it, it, it we really started looking into what makes, especially you look at alien races like that. What makes them alien? What makes them to the point where you can play them? And and do them right, so to speak. And, and I, I love it that and uh, and I love it that with these alien races, mm-hmm. what did we all have to draw on other than you know our main thing that we had to draw on that one page in fringe worthy and yep. just looking at that, the four or five of us, we extrapolated so much. I remember the Tazeel episode. Just from what that one page, we extrapolated culture, climate, technology level, history, um, languages that were there. And just, we went boom with just that one page. Now, I believe it was the Demixi. Rich, you were on that episode, right, for the Demixi? I think I was. Yeah, we recorded that back. December of last year because I remember it was at a former friend's place staying there for that week. Yeah, it was the Demixie episode and I think we also did Baines in that same on that same night. And we just from that one sheet that we have all of us are are we can extrapolate just all these other things that if you just read the sheet and think about it 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 could invariably come to mind. It's just that with our our inside information, you know, we have all these little ins on these races, and especially Rich who created them. Okay, this is like this. This could be like this. Most likely this could be due to this. So, yeah, I could see where John could say that the Alien Race episodes were his favorites. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, it, it's funny because, like, there's, there's all these – I mean, there's different ways of looking at this. Like, I think while I like the gender issue – uh, episodes. I thought I thought that was like our finest moment, personally. Um, at the same time, there are other. If I look at it from a different perspective, uh, you know, depending on what the show delivers to the to the to the end user, to the listener, you know, I, I think from a social commentary point of view, uh, from an entertainment value point of view, that was our best. But at the same time, there were other episodes that I think were better in their own right for their own reasons like when we did that whole series of packing for success we did vehicles you know a fringe in space that was an awesome episode uh our dinosaur episode was was i think was really fantastic um mm-hmm. and then the the disasters which we're we're putting up uh, by the time you're listening to this we've already probably have gone through them all um but i thought those were super informative and i think they gave a value to the listener, to the to the to the gamer, that you don't normally get, and you haven't, you know, haven't really seen many places. I mean, where have we ever seen anywhere where they've done um, how to role play a flood or how to role play a vol, you know, a volcanic eruption? 
I mean, have you guys ever seen that anywhere? I, I haven't. And I, I think it was like really mm-hmm. um, super valuable in, in a direction that just hadn't been covered in most streams. So um, that's I think that's where our podcast is delivering on a level that that you know that it, I think is you know maybe overlooked a little bit. You know, I mean, I'm looking at our fan base, and our fan base could be better. You know, it, it's not horrible, but it, it could be better, and I think it should be. I think there are things that we deliver to the listener that you don't get from other podcasts, and you don't get from uh, you know gaming magazines or, or or gaming books in a lot of ways because you know we we go that conceptual mile. You know, we we go all the way out there, and we uh, we, we pick a topic and we and we 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 kill it. I mean, we we just you know burn it to death. On, um, oh yeah, on yeah. Playing. We we take it to eleven. Yeah, yeah we it, take it to eleven. Exactly. So I think there are a lot of those episodes like that where we have really delivered uh, way, way beyond just like being you know the TriTech podcast. I mean, it, it could be you could call it the role playing podcast. You know, because it, it it's not TriTech indicative. It, it's all role playing indicative. Well, yeah, the stuff that we do, you can apply to any game that you play. I mean, because this is. These are situations that come up that any game master of any role-playing game is going to come up with. Dealing with having a woman in your group, or dealing with equipping your characters correctly, or dealing with having wishes in your game. There are other games that have wishes in them. Not just oh, yeah. Dungeons & Dragons, or Bureau 13, or Fringeworthy, if you were to find some being on, a, on mm-hmm. an alternate Earth that could do that. Every game system, in one way or another, allows the characters to make to change their their reality on a grand scale. So we yeah. deal with meta game issues as well as issues that occur within the game universe that Rich created originally. Yeah, but, but guys, don't you think we push it? I mean, don't you think we push it to the next level where you know we we come up with concepts that you know haven't been touched yet. Holy. Right. That's what we try to do. That's what we talk about bringing the awesome. We want to go beyond what everyone else has talked about and just try to see it maybe with new eyes. And that's why the, the cross genre is so helpful of Fringeworthy is because you're basically butting up one concept that has some pretty established tropes against another concept that also has pre-established tropes. And the emergent play that comes as a result is enlightening. Yeah, that's right. We're, we were not afraid to touch anything. Right. <laughs> I mean, we even did the, the we even did the swimsuit episode a couple months back. Right. <laughs> Nobody's done a swimsuit episode like us. Right. Well, the thing, well, the thing, the reason is, is because when we say we don't leave anything untouched, we added that bonus mature part that was not part of the episode. But if you wanted to download it, you could, and we went. There. Well, yeah. <laughs> it, it wasn't that mature. I need to hear this one. Oh, sorry, what's that, Rich? I think I need to hear this one. <laughs> you should. <it's, laughs> oh, yeah, you should. You should be hearing all of them. Richard, don't tell me you're not listening to our podcast. Right, but you know, it wasn't. Unfortunate, unfortunately, folks, my job sucks most of my soul off. <laughs> I only get around here to see you folks uh, or to hear from you folks. Every once in a while. Yeah. Uh, well, you know what? The, the swimsuit episode, it, it didn't go crazy dark or, or goofy or anything like that. But we did get it. We did touch on things that we wouldn't normally touch on. 
in a in a, in a family friendly environment. You know, it wasn't like we didn't throw out f bombs and we didn't you know talk about you know crazy goofy stuff. But we, well, we do throw out f bombs, but Bruce is quick enough to edit those. Anyway, well, I'm just saying. But in that in that swimsuit episode that you know is is an extra, you have to go on the website to go get it. Um, you know, we didn't go crazy with anything. We didn't. You know, it wasn't. You know off our kilter more than you know we would normally do it's just that we did touch on some things that you know i wouldn't want you know a 12 year old to listen to you know it wasn't the words we were using it was just the concepts the, the mental concepts that we were talking about i mean it truly was a mature segment we were talking about mature things right. we weren't talking about things that were explicit right so yeah. if you're subscribed through iTunes, you need you should go to our website. Which is tritaxsystems.podbean.com. Yes. Yes. And tritaxsystems.podbean.com. Go check that out. Go to the swimsuit episode. There's a link to an episode that you would not get through iTunes, which expands upon um, these adult concepts that, you know, just again. It's not full of F-bombs or any kind of crazy stuff like that. It's just adult concepts that I, yeah. I would not want my 12-year-old listening to. And, But, you know, not to toot our own horns or, or you know, I mean, because we've been kind of, you know, this this last little bit. And I'm sure, Bruce, you're probably going to break this into two shows. We can, you know, maybe we can do like a New Year's special or something with that <laughs> bit or something. I don't know because this is going too Happy long. Happy New Year's! But, 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 but <laughs> the point – but I think some of the stuff we're saying is – We're not going to do a Bureau 13 Santa episode? I think we've already done that one. Yeah, I think we did. We did that. We did Santa. <laughs> right. We have two Christmas episodes already in the can, Richard. Right, yeah. Last year's last year's Christmas episode was all about Santa Claus. Really ought to listen to our podcast, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, it, it, the, the not not to blow smoke up our own butts and, and you know and and to, and to push us you know you know trying to put us up on a pedestal. Uh, the point of the matter is is that you know. If you're a fan of uh, the TriTech podcast, really, if you have other gaming friends, you go into RPG Net, go into you know any of these other other websites, and try and convince people to listen to our show because, you know, it's really. I mean, it is the TriTech podcast. We are the official podcast for TriTech, uh, with Richard's blessing. But it's so much more than that. I mean, we and you know, if you listen to this, you know, you, I mean, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. But but you should push, you know, try and push other players to get into this. Um, you know, when I had Balticon, this last Balticon, I had Scott Sigler on, who, uh, who who's a famous, well, is kind of famous, uh, a writer, and he used to be a role player, and that's why I had him on the show. I would have never had him on the show if he hadn't been a role player before. But I was talking to him in person, and he, you know, he said, "Yeah, he, had, he ran this tramp champions campaign forever." So I got him on. As somebody who has transitioned from being a role player to a writer, and he was on the show, he was great. And um, you know, the, the the point to that is, is that you know we go so far beyond anything that is just simply, you know, a system specific thing. We we definitely go outside of the box all the time. So, you know. It, Outside the box, we we take the box apart and set up another shelf. Yeah, <laughs> you would rebuild it. That, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. You know, it it it's called the TriTech podcast, but we really could call it the role playing podcast. Yeah, you know, well, it's like the cartoons where you take the guy and you shove him in a box and you you say North Pole on it and 
and you drop it in the mail and then it shows up the next day and it's covered with stickers from Acapulco and China <laughs> and you know, every place in the world. And it's like, how did this thing get all those places? Well, that's how I feel sometimes when I'm playing the <laughs> podcast. But, but you know what? To, to be fair, um, we, we didn't intend it to be that way. We, we actually started out as the Fringeworthy podcast and it was after a year. You know, we talked about it. And we decided we were going to go try. We we're going to be the TriTag podcast because we didn't. To be honest, we didn't want to run out of things to talk about because we were afraid if we just stuck with Fringeworthy, at some point we'd run out of stuff. Well, we also wanted to promote the other products that TriTac yep. was producing, especially the new products that were coming out yep. like yep. Weird Zone and uh, Hardwired Hinterland. Yep. Right, right. A- absolutely. Hopefully early next year we're going to have uh, Euro 13 Brass and Steam. I, I'll get working on that. This month, Rich, I have my own contributions to that, which I will be adding to that. So, so, so what I'm what, <laughs> what I'm trying to trying to get at with that is that um, it, it's it, if you just take it from the Fringeworthy portion, if you just if you just go from where we started from, uh, Fringeworthy is such an all encompassing setting. It, it has to cross every genre. It has to cross. Every type of role playing, every time zone, every I mean everything you can imagine is is all encompassing. Uh, this show couldn't be anything else but that. I mean, if we were going to do it justice, right? So this show is what you know really is born out of what Fringeworthy is for role playing. Um, you know, Beer Thirteen and and Elf Winds, all that stuff fits within this because all of that fits within Fringeworthy. Um, so so. My contention would be that this really is still the Fringeworthy podcast in a lot of ways, you know, even though it is the TriTac podcast. But, you know, I think everything in TriTac fits within Fringeworthy. At least that's my opinion. What, what do you think, Rich? Uh, it does. You, you agree with that? I agree. Yeah. Good, good, cool. So, I mean, I don't know how much further we want to go on with this. We want to wrap up some. Sure. Okay, <laughs> I think we're kind of talking on and on. So We want to thank our listeners for being such great fans. And we thank everybody who's out there promoting us and letting other people know what a hard job that we're doing for you guys. We just want to thank you for all that you've done for us by making it worthwhile for us to continue this podcast. We hope that all of, you know, that you have a wonderful new year and that you get a lot of great gaming in. And we hope that TriTac as a campaign as well as a podcast will be part of that world, that gaming world. We thank you again for all you've done and all of our hosts here. Wish you all the best. And we'll be back again next week. But until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. This is Jay. Keep it simple. The players are going to complicate it for you. This is Jay Libby. The gamer generation is you. This was the Fringeworthy Podcast. This podcast is protected under the Creative Commons license. Have a Merry Christmas.
Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.